Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily National Football League podcast on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock alongside the scout Matt Williamson. You can find me at BD Peacock on Twitter. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. You can find this podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps, just like every show here on the network. And before we get started, I do have to remind everybody that Friday we're here. We're kicking off the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft Special, and we're starting to work on it, and I'm hearing some elements come together. It's going to be such a fantastic show. All of the college hosts, all the NFL hosts making picks for their teams, and uh, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. That kicks off Friday on a network takeover, then all next week right here on Locked On NFL, hosted by Matt Williamson and myself. Today's show is focusing on the AFC West, we're continuing our division-by-division breakdowns, reviewing free agency. So we'll look at the uh, arrivals and departures from teams in the AFC West and Matt Williamson's running back rankings today. Matt, a little bit of news first here before we get into the AFC West and the running back draft rankings. We have official word now, and it was obvious it was going down this path, but now we know this is going to be the case in a memo It was sent out to all 32 teams from NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. He told teams to prepare for a fully virtual draft and that club personnel will be located in separate locations and able to communicate with one another and draft headquarters by phone or internet. Your thoughts? Are you pumped for a virtual draft? Well, a little bit because I do think... You know, some of the best inventions and creation in the history of time have come in, you know, because of bad circumstances. Smart people start figuring out answers. And I bet that when we're sitting there in our lazy boy watching the draft, that we will steal things from this draft the way that they present it to us that we'll use for years to come. So I think it might breed some innovation in terms of being the decision makers and, you know, they're not allowed at the facilities. That worries me. I mean, I I could, are are some of the clocks going to run out? Are they going to give them more time per picks? I got to think there's going to be less trades. It's just things happen quick and communication's tough. I can see some very, very frustrated old school GMs and coaches technology wise. And I wonder how much of an advantage it'll be for some teams with technology. And I can't imagine that, the high up decision makers want to be messing with anything. So uh, do they have an IT person that can help them out and make sure everything's smooth with them draft day? Because a lot of the work being done now is people remotely, are they going to find a place to the separate from where they're working from home right now? Because it sounds like they're not even going to be together. Everyone's going to be virtual, uh, virtual club personnel yeah. will be located in separate locations and be able to communicate with one another. I mean, that sounds pretty much like what we're doing here with this podcast, and that will make for some very interesting drafting, I think, and technology, someone's internet going out at the very wrong time. I can see right, I right. can see a frustrated coach or personnel guy throwing his laptop out the window, right, when, when things really heat up, and I have to imagine the clock is going to be very flexible. I would hope they're a little bit lenient with that. I mean, because who knows what's happening. Um, I think it's the right move because we've talked about this a little bit too. Depending what state you're in, the rules are different in terms of how you could convene or get a group of 
three, four, five guys in the room together is just the important decision makers, and you can't even do that. So at least the playing field is level. And I know by no means is this the same as what the NFL is dealing with, but with my work with the Steelers, they're really confounded on how am I and my you know cohorts going to even like report the draft. You know, we usually go to the Steelers facility. The coaches are on the other side of the glass. You know, like everything's there. And the facility is going to be empty, as it is in 32 cities. And I, I might just be on my lazy boy on the phone. I don't know. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, the coverage of the draft and getting yeah, information. Yeah. And I wonder how teams like so basically and I've seen a lot of clips of of GMs and, and scouts and coaches and, and the way they're working and seen photos of them and essentially they have their computer and a big monitor then they've got like another computer screen and everyone's got a tablet in the NFL they do a lot of work with tablets and then you're you've got your phone and so there's going to be so many things to juggle with you're texting people you're calling people on the phone you have a conference with go, going with people you have a spreadsheet where you're looking at your prospects and you're looking at your information and it's a lot to take in and it's funny because it's Probably any of GMs out there that have done fantasy football drafts in the last few years are going to have an advantage because that's what it's going to look like. Yeah, in a way, you're 100% right. And um, I, I wonder if the rooms that have just one czar running it all as opposed to groupthink would have an advantage because he's just going to do what he wants. But IT departments are going to be stressed. I mean, whoever the, the top dog final decision maker is, there better be somebody close by to make sure his communication and his information is all correct. And I feel a little bit for the the area scouts and some of the guys that do the, the heavy lifting throughout the year because I bet their voice isn't going to be as heard as much as it usually is. Right, because you have to have that last-second communication at a minimum, and you have to – so everything's going to be pre-planned, right? And I, I'm guessing teams will have to run through this, and if I was in charge of a draft room, I would be running – uh, an insane amount of mocks and going through yeah. this as if it's the real deal. Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to t talk about things? How are we going to communicate? How is that it might be as important as the player evaluation when it's all said and done, right? It could be crazy hectic because you have yeah. to get the opinions of so many people in a short amount of time, especially as the draft goes on. I think the first round will be easier because it's a lot simpler to rank 15 players, you know, exactly. And you have every, all 15 scenarios there. So you know what you're going to do. Maybe you take a phone call, maybe you have a little conversation with folks about a trade. And then when it gets deeper into the draft and there's a lot less separating players and you have to have those conversations and the clock gets shorter, actually, that is where things get very interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, you know, trades, I mean, they're going to be hard to manage trades too. I mean, because if you're the, the top dog, the GM, you have someone else probably on the phone with the Eagles talking about what they need for their fourth round pick or whatever. Yeah, a lot of trades, I think, need to be worked out in advance. So I, I think that's another thing that's happening behind the scenes right now is teams figuring out what they can do trade-wise. So there's not as many of those conversations late as well. Let's see. Okay, let's talk AFC. I mean, this is just, we're going to remember this for the rest of our lives. And I like, I like what you said about innovation. And people, when their back's against the wall, they figure things out. And I wonder what both teams are going to learn about mm -hmm. how they're doing things. And I wonder if some of the virtual stuff they will like and continue to implement. And of course, how the draft is covered and how the league works the draft and people will be more comfortable with everything virtually and everything technology wise after this, that'll almost feel like going backwards if they don't take some elements from this draft in 2020. 
Right, right. You're forced to do something different, so you're going to learn a new technique, um, a new way to balance tape versus, you know, non-tape things with medicals and analytics and all that. And maybe you learn to communicate a little bit better or we've been doing this step of the draft process every year and maybe we don't need it anymore. And back to like I was saying too, ESPN, NFL Network, I'm sure they're going to show us new stuff and some of it will be a hit, some won't. How does the draft outlook change for teams in the AFC West, Broncos, Chiefs, Chargers, Raiders, post-free agency next. The Denver Broncos under head coach Vic Fangio, year two for Fangio, trying to put together his scheme, get some of his guys in there, and it's a little bit of a revamped Broncos team, but I think they feel they're ready to go with their second-year quarterback in Drew Locke, and Uh, I think part of the draft is going to be trying to get him some weapons. They have Cortland Sutton, a really good young player, and we'll see if they get that wide receiver at the 15th overall pick in the NFL draft or maybe later in the draft as it is a deep wide receiver draft. But looking at free agency for the Denver Broncos, first uh, trade before free agency was a huge get for Denver, I think, in A.J. Bouye. Uh, They traded a fourth-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars to get their cornerback. Jarrell Casey acquired in a trade. For a seventh-round pick, uh, he could play, I think, a little nose. I think he'll play a lot of five technique for the Denver Broncos. Graham Glasgow, guard, signed a four-year, $44 million deal. Melvin Gordon found his new team, a two-year, $16 million contract with the Broncos. Shelby Harris re-signs. Uh, Nick Vanette, tight end, two-year deal with the Broncos. And, of course, Hunter Sam Martin, three-year, $7 million contract. That's not a bad gig these days, being an NFL yeah, right. Uh And real quick, the departures from Denver in the offseason. Quarterbacks, Brandon Allen, Joe Flacco, uh, guard Ronald Leary, center Connor McGovern signed with the New York Jets. Derek Wolf is now with the Ravens. Chris Harris signed with the Chargers, putting a nice little uh, defensive back group there. We'll get to the Chargers later. Cornerback Cyrus Jones is gone, and safety Will Parks went to the Philadelphia Eagles. Matt, your thoughts on the Denver Broncos offseason so far? Yeah, pretty active team. Also franchise Justin Simmons. So Bouye comes in for Harris, um, and Casey comes in via trade, too. I like both those trades because they really are just giving up cap space for those guys. I mean, a fourth-round pick is something, but... Overall, you're not giving up a ton for Bouye and Casey. And they're not quite the players they used to be. They're both probably declining, but they're still quality players that will help this defense. But kind of like you talked about, I think the offense is the story. You know, you you have Fant and Sutton there already. I think both of us have seen every mock in the world that has them going receiver in the first round. And if they don't, I'm sure they'll get one early at least. And you signed Melvin Gordon. I mean, they are all in on Drew Locke. And off the top of my head, I don't even know who their backup is. Like, I thought that might be a Mariota spot or some quality type backup guy. They're all in on Drew Locke. And he didn't play that much last year for me to say, boy, he's a slam dunk starter. Your answers are solved. Maybe. I mean, I'm open to the idea. He's got a lot of ability, but they are so married to this guy. Yeah, the the evaluation to me isn't complete. Maybe it's more complete for the Broncos, and it seems like that's how they feel. He's their guy, and obviously they could still draft a guy and try to push him a little bit, and there's some free agents out there on the market still, but it's the Drew Locke show in Denver, and I think he's tied to Fangio. How that goes will... Tied to Elway. Yeah, well, and Elway too, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
it's Locke, it's Fangio, it's Elway. And if it doesn't work with Locke, then that might be it for Elway and Fangio at the top of that organization. So very interesting there and how they build around him will be exciting to watch. During the NFL draft, let's go to the Kansas City Chiefs. And they haven't done a lot. They don't have a ton of cap space there in Kansas City. One major piece uh, was the franchise tag that they placed on Chris Jones. And there's still potential for him to be traded. When it comes to Chris Jones, I don't know that you would... Last year, they traded away a first-rounder to get an edge player. They got rid of D. Ford. And then you, you're you not going to just let Chris Jones go after that, who's a better player than than everybody on that defensive line, right? right. So you got to find a way to, to keep Chris Jones. Long-term, they couldn't have thought that they were going to lose Jones and then swap edge players. That just doesn't make sense long-term. Uh, aside from Jones, Demarcus Robinson re-signs. They restructured Sammy Watkins' deal, so he's sticking around. Wide receiver group intact in 2020. Running back Damian Williams, uh, they picked up a $2 million option for him to stick around. Quarterback Chad Henney re-signed with the team for two years, $3 million. And cornerback Antonio Hamilton, a small one-year contract in Kansas City. The departures in Kansas City, the list is a little bit longer. Quarterback Matt Moore gone. Running back LaShawn McCoy. Running back Spencer Ware. Steph Wisniewski signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cameron Irving, so they lost two guards there from the roster. Emmanuel Ogba signed with the Miami Dolphins. Linebackers Darren Lee and Reggie Ragland are gone. Ragland signed with the Detroit Lions. And three cornerbacks gone from the old roster. Bashad Breland, Morris Claiborne, and Kendall Fuller. Uh, that cornerback position is the one that really sticks out to me, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, that and interior O-line to me are areas of concern. And I also think their second level linebackers, you know, Hitchens isn't worth the money. And, you know, they're, they're not, they need somebody that can run and hit. If there's a Queen or a Murray at the end of the first round, I would think they'd be very interested. I've seen people mock running backs there. Eh, I could go either way on that. I mean, I think Williams is fine with as good as dynamic as that offense is. Uh, that would be down the list. But if there's an amazing one there, and we're going to talk running backs here in a moment, then grab them. Um, but overall, this might be the least active team in the league. And, oh, by the way, they're the Super Bowl champs, and they have Pat Mahomes. So I can't be critical of that. I really did not think there was any way that Sammy Watkins was going to be a chief this year, and they got that done. And I would think at this point you want to try to extend Jones and then start talking extension with Patty Mahomes. That rhymes. Jones and Mahomes, uh, $40 million a year for Patrick Mahomes. He will get, I, I'm guessing, at some point oh. or close to it, which is frightening. So they're probably, they probably know that's going to happen and are waiting until the last moment that they have to do that mega contract. And hopefully for them, there's a massive jump in salary cap that allows them to do some of these things and keep Chris Jones because that's the reason why you wouldn't be able to have that much money in your defensive line. Uh, because you got to pay your quarterback insane market, new market setting money. And so if any other team in the league wants to re-sign a good quarterback long-term, do it before Mahomes signs. That's my advice. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like a Deshaun Watson is looming. You yeah. Know, the, those, the, that era now is up next. Last little note on the Chiefs is, you know, like the Patriots never sat on their hands after going to the Super Bowl. There was always a lot of off-season moves. So that worries me just a little, you know, kind of the feel of, uh, if a shark stops swimming, it dies, uh, you know, but they didn't have much cap room. 
they have all their pieces in place. No one's going to not pick them to win the division. So I'm not worried about that. But if they are going to maintain a, you know, a dynasty type feel, you can't just do nothing every offseason. Right. And what the Patriots would do is they would allow those big money guys to leave, but they would really filter through more players, veteran free agents that were a bargain and a whole bunch of draft picks after trading back to add competition to the bottom of the roster and refill that depth uh, bottom up which is a great strategy. And so who knows, maybe we'll see the Kansas City Chiefs start to do that and, and maybe they're open for business at the end of round one too because if you're going to keep your window open for a long time, coach, quarterback in place, check, check. You got to continue to add depth through the draft and bargain-free agents and guys that are just, that'll, that'll play. That'll play hard for you and maybe not be superstars. Right. No, I 100% agree. Las Vegas Raiders. They, this is, uh, man, it's it, this is a quarterback-driven league, and this team, where uh, wherever their quarterbacks take them, and I say quarterbacks, plural, because they added one, is how far the Las Vegas Raiders will go in 2020, in my opinion. The quarterback added to the roster to go along with Derek Carr is Marcus Mariota. He agreed to a two-year, $17 million contract. They added defensive end Carl Nassib on a three-year, $25 million deal, so it c- completes a really nice defensive end group there. For the Raiders, with a couple of young players they drafted last year, Nelson Aguilar, one year, uh, looks like $1 million, so not much spent there at all for Nelson Aguilar. Uh, Malik Collins, defensive tackle, one-year deal. Jeff Heath signed from the Cowboys, two years, $8 million. Eric Cush, an offensive lineman, uh, doesn't say what the terms are here for his deal, but I think it's a pretty minor deal there and maybe another one of those one-year contracts and a couple of linebackers here which is interesting they wanted to add some athleticism to that linebacking group Nick Kwiatkowski from the Bears three years 21 million and three years 36 million dollars for former Rams linebacker Corey Littleton and the departures really quick from the Raiders and there was not as many quarterback Mike Glennon wide receiver Dwayne Harris Vontez Burfecht is gone Another linebacker to hear Whitehead is gone, so that linebacking group completely revamped. Cornerback Daryl Murray and uh, Worley and safety Carl Joseph signed with the Cleveland Browns. And as you laid out, I mean, their their roster is better now than it was a couple months ago. They didn't lose much at all, and they didn't you know try to keep any of those guys that they did lose. So they improved in numerous spots and. Starting with the defense, one thing you didn't mention because it didn't really happen is Eli Apple was signed, and that didn't happen. So they'll still be in the market for corner. I would expect a very heavy defensive draft with the exception of wide receiver. Um, they also signed Demarius Randall lately. I like the two linebackers they picked up quite a bit, but they didn't add superstars. I mean, they added every down solid type guys on defense, which is a kick in the right direction. And they could use a lot more star power on that defense and, you know, Khalil Mack type guys. And I don't know last year's draft class is going to provide that. I mean, Cleveland Farrell to me is kind of just a guy. And on offense, you know, we mentioned the quarterback situation. Could Mario, here's two questions for you. Could Mariota be this year's Tannehill in terms of week five, he takes over and upgrades. I kind of like Carr though. And part two, do you think the Raiders are done at quarterback? The Raiders quarterback situation is is interesting because I don't think you can say they're done done. And obviously they have enough doubt with Carr that they brought in a pretty high f- profile backup, even though he faltered in Tennessee in Marcus Mariota. And 
You mentioned how it could be a Tannehill situation in Las Vegas. It could also be the opposite, and it could be a catastrophe if Marcus Mariota is starting games because that means it's you know things aren't going well, and and he could either save that franchise or they could realize, oh crap, now we've got to draft a quarterback in 2021. Right. Unless they draft a quarterback in 2020, and when I'm looking at trade scenarios at the top of the draft, about the only team I could see that makes a move up and gets in front of say Los Angeles Chargers or the Miami Dolphins to draft a quarterback would be the Raiders because they have picks at 12 and 19. And there's enough doubt, I think, about their long-term quarterback that if the right guy's there and they're able to make that deal, I can see that happening and making some sense. But uh, I still think wide receiver and corner is probably what they're looking at early in the draft. Yeah, I think their first pick likely will be a, a receiver and maybe their choice of the litter or second one off the board, give or take. Although maybe Henderson would be there too or whatever. Um, they are a kind of a Jordan love dark horse for me. Cause you could definitely, no matter what you could redshirt them all year and have no intention of playing them this year and go from there. Cause they might be, they may not have their quarterback on the roster. I'm very open to that idea. Boy, I'd love to see Derek Carr though, like in new England or something. I, I just think that he's better than given credit for and played pretty well last year. I'm also a Mariota believer. So I'm interested to see how that goes down, but I don't have confidence that either one of those quarterbacks is going to make John Gruden super happy. Yeah, Love, if he slides to 19, and to, to me that's not really a slide, but if Love is sitting there at 19 and they think, okay, all the blue chippers in this draft are gone, now here's a quarterback that we can develop that doesn't really screw with what we have at quarterback. We can still figure out what we have with Carr and Mariota this year. Let this play out. Maybe we could be in fantastic position and have three amazing starting caliber quarterbacks at this time next year. But Love at 19, if he's still on the board, you don't have to move around. You don't have to trade a bunch of assets. High upside quarterback. That is interesting there, Matt. I, I like mm -hmm. the way you laid that out. And, and they're definitely the team that could really shake things up if they did go quarterback in round one. Right, right. And I do think both GM and coach with their, you know, uh, TV backgrounds were very high on Mariota coming out and were very quick to sign him and think they could turn, turn his car, his whole career around. And again, I still am on that limb with Mariota. I'm still a believer and would like to see some stability in his life. But often when you have two similar quarterbacks, you have none. Okay. We'll finish up the AFC West with the Los Angeles chargers and talk running backs next. The Chargers, they were one of those teams. I think they kind of, and I don't know behind the scenes if this is really the case, but it seemed like they were in a holding pattern, kind of waiting on Brady, because I think mm -hmm. that's what they wanted. I think that was plan A, is Brady in Los Angeles. New stadium, shiny, new Hall of Fame quarterback. I think that's what they had hoped was going to happen. Once that didn't happen, I think their offseason was going to be pretty chilled out, which is what it was. They let one of their running backs go, but I love the deal that they re-signed Austin Eckler and let Gordon go. I think that was the right move. Yeah. A team-friendly deal for a dynamic running back that helps out in the passing game. Like This is what you want your running back to look like in 2020. Austin Eckler, four years, $24.5 million. Brian Bulaga agreed to a three-year contract, $30 million. Chris Harris signed a two-year, $17 million contract. Love what's going on in the defensive backfield there for Los Angeles. Uh, Hunter Henry, franchise tag. So at least for one more season, Hunter Henry sticking around in L.A. Linval Joseph agreed to a two-year deal after he got cut from the Vikings, and Trey Turner was swapped. They or they brought in Trey Turner in a swap, sending Russell Okun to the Carolina Panthers. And departures in Los Angeles talked about Melvin Gordon, the big one. It is no longer the Philip Rivers era for the Chargers. He goes to the Colts. 
fullback Derek Watt with the Steelers with his brother. Uh, Travis Benjamin signed with the 49ers. Offensive lineman Okun and Michael Schofield are gone. Brandon Meebane is gone. Linebackers Jatavis Brown and Thomas Davis found work elsewhere. And safeties Adrian Phillips and Jalen Watkins found work elsewhere. One of the most interesting teams. Like, I thought the Chiefs didn't do much, but I think the Chargers, I just keep bringing them up and bringing them up, especially with Winston and Cam landing spots. I would be very active to try to land one of those two if I were them. And I understand that maybe you want to get your, your quarterback in the draft, but that doesn't mean you couldn't. Um, but if you don't, you probably get one of those premier tackles and really round things out. A couple notes on this team are, first of all, they were the worst team in the league in one-score games. So if you get that back to the norm, you're going to be more of a contender than people might realize. And I also think there's some Tampa Bay here in terms of if Tyrod turns the ball over one-third as much as Rivers does did last year, we're going to win those games or at least we have a lot better shot. We don't hurt ourselves as much. So I think that's some of the logic. And Anthony Lynn's a more conservative-style coach. A couple other notes, though. Th- this team really has as much star power, in my opinion, as just about any in the league in terms of some of the best players at their position. But a year from now, they're going to get hit hard, harder in free agency than any team I can remember. Like everyone that's good on their team is up, contracts up after this year. So you can't take that out of consideration with how they draft and what they do from this point on. So I think they're super interesting. I mean, they add Brian Balaga and Chris Harris and keep, you know, Trey Turner and, you know, keep uh, Hunter Henry. I mean, those are Linvel Joseph. I mean, those are names every one of our listeners know. I mean, those are quality players that are going to help this team. I think that's a playoff team, but man, I wish it was Cam behind center or even Jameis. Yeah. When I, I know why they don't want Jameis because of the turnovers, like I just said. Yeah. But I, you know. And when I say they chilled out, I, I was more talking about letting you know star players go like Gordon and Rivers, and not and not being married to the past, and, right? You know. And and not overdoing it, not panicking and, and going and because I I think they really feel like it was Tyrod and he's their guy and they're going to go into the draft and if they weren't going to get Brady, they're not going to screw around with another veteran quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see if. You know, it's a team that at the end of the year we say, well, why didn't they go get Cam Newton who was just sitting there? They could have been a lot better and they could have been a playoff team and now they screwed that up and and maybe they don't even draft their quarterback this year. Uh, Real quick, uh, one-word answer, offensive tackle or quarterback for the Chargers at six? I'm going to say quarterback, but I think it's close. I mean, it also wouldn't blow my doors off if they took Derek Brown or if Isaiah Simmons. I mean, imagine Isaiah Simmons and Derwin James in the same defense. (laughs) That would be a lot of fun. (laughs) That would be a lot of fun. And if they're the best player on your board, go for it. Add needs later. All right. Uh, We don't have a lot of time here to get to these running backs. I think we should split running backs up maybe into two shows and talk a little bit about the guys at the top and get a little bit more into the depth later. How do you feel about that? That's fine by me. Um, Just to sum it up real quick, though, here's the way, without getting too deep, I see the running back class like this, is there's not a star, there's not Zeke, you know, the guy that's obviously a first-round pick, but there's five guys who I think I could shake up in a bag in whatever order they come out, I would not argue with you. I mean, I think there's five high-quality backs. And then there's, for me, a tier two guy of Zach Moss and A.J. Dillon, a tier three alone of Josh Kelly and then Keyshawn Vaughn and then some other guys down the road that are part-time players. So we can 
evaluate this any way you want. If you just want to talk about those top five, I'm cool with that. Or however you want to handle it, it's fine by me. Yeah, let's start at the top here, see how far we get, and then we'll get deeper into it because it's an interesting running back class. And I'm I'm right there with you. There's a clear top five. And I think the mm-hmm. order of the top five, the way you have them, is interesting because I do not think this is the way they will get drafted. So I, I think no, we I mean, can really see here who you think the value picks will be. Number one for you is J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. Yeah, and... Honestly, I'm not trying to get a, you know get around the conversation. But if I flipped these and went five to one, I really it, it would be very team dependent on these top five. I mean, it depends what you're looking for. All these guys are very different. So in a vacuum, I did put Dobbins one, and my logic behind it was I think he has the fewest weaknesses. You know, I said in the write up something along the lines of he's kind of a B plus in every category. I like that. That's a great way to put it. And you can plug him in. He's a fit for every team, every scheme, can mm-hmm. give you a little short yardage. He can hit home runs. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. And I think there's a f- couple guys in this class that can absolutely be three down backs from day one, even though these aren't slam dunk necessarily first-round type running backs where you're like, oh, my God, this guy is a freak of nature. We have to draft him. Number two on your list is the one that I think is going to be the best value because I agree he ranks right up here with the top guys, but I think he'll be the fourth running back off the board, and that's Cam Akers from Florida State. Yeah, I don't expect him to be the second one off the board. I think Dobbins and Taylor Swift are going to be the first ones off the boards. Um, I love Akers, though. I mean, of these five guys, by far he had the worst situation. I mean, by far, and his blocking was horrendous. He's... Very competitive, good in protection, really runs with power, came to the the Seminoles as a athletic quarterback. So still learning some of the finer points of it. I I think he's going to make a team really happy in the second round. Three and four, you have DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor. And if I had to bet money, I think Jonathan Taylor with the way he ran and both these guys worked out at the Combine. Uh, which is why I think it'll be a lot safer for GMs to say, well, we didn't get a chance to see Dobbins work out, so let's go Taylor, let's go Swift, and then Dobbins probably fighting with Cam Akers to be that third running back off the board, and I think you know I could see that going either way, but it's going to be D- Taylor, it's going to be Swift. Swift more uh, compact, low to the ground. Jonathan Taylor's that Nick Chubb. He ran 4-4, flying, uh, crazy fast 10-yard split, Hits home runs. He's built the way you want. If you want, if you want to get downhill and you want that style of running back, even a little bit of an old school back, like Jonathan Taylor would have been a top top ten pick twenty five years ago. Oh yeah. Uh, now when he's we were going kids, right. Right now he's going to go in the thirties probably. Jonathan Taylor's four for you. Why do you like Swift more? The the receiving ability because John Taylor can catch the ball too. I, 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 all these guys actually can catch the ball quite a bit. Yeah, they can. I mean, I think Swift is probably the most natural catching the football. I don't know that he's the best receiver. I think that's Edward Solaire. Um, but Swift is much is I, I definitely think Swift is a better receiver and weapon in the passing game than Taylor. I think they're very different styles. I mean, Taylor's the faster of the two. I mean, you wouldn't think that originally, but Taylor is big and fast. And I very much believe if all you asked your running back was just, I'm going to hand him the ball and he's going to run basic run plays. Taylor's the best guy on this list, and there would be a line after him. I mean, just in terms of running back skills, much like Fournette or Nick Chubb, like you mentioned. And I do think his best receiving days are ahead of him, but he's never going to be a dynamic receiver. His fumbles are a big negative to me, though. I mean, they are 
a lot of people are worried about his all the workload he's had. That doesn't bother me because I'm going to use him up anyways and send him on his way. But boy, he is a fumbler, and that worries me for a workhorse guy. Number five on your list is if. For those of you at home, probably could do the math and, and realize who number five is going to be, and I think he will be the fifth running back taken. It's just because he is vertically challenged. He's got those short legs, and uh, he can't muster as much top speed as the rest of the guys here in your top five. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a very good player, and he's going to be a bargain for somebody, and he's probably going to go in round three. And uh, he, I just love him. I think teams will like him, but they're just going to be like, yeah, we can't draft this player in the top 50, even though he's really good. Right. I mean, I think he'll be a second rounder. I think he has some workhorse traits. He's the best receiver, route runner, all around weapon of the group. Rarely asked to protect more of just kind of a chip and go out type of guy. His highlight films as good as anyone's though. I mean, great foot frequency. Didn't run well at the combine. So I'm probably with you in terms of who would I bet to be the fifth back off the board? Probably would bet on Edwards Hilaire, but he could be a star too. I, I mean, I really am high on him. It's going to be, I think the key here is, and we'll get to the rest of the running backs on your list and, and see if there's any separation in the next tier of, of backs and, and players that might be a little bit more one-dimensional and players that you can land on late day two and, and land on day three that could potentially make a big impact for your football team. In, in different various ways, but with the top five guys, and especially I, I think the top two or three, where the first one goes is key because for most teams, I'm guessing like when I'm getting into the mind of these GMs, it's like, okay, first round, I want to take a, play, a player at a position that's got more positional value. I want to draft a corner or a pass rusher or even a wide receiver or a quarterback or whatever if I can. And then round two is like, that's the, that's the running back run, right? So I know you've 